you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Grounded, Boeing shares slide after the FAA orders airlines to stop flying all 737 MAX 9 planes until urgent inspections are completed. This move follows the Alaska Airlines midair emergency Friday night. We'll have the very latest developments and the ripple effects straight ahead. Plus, shopping spree. Investors buying up retail names like Abercrombie, American Eagle, and Crocs. Is this a sign the consumer's not done spending just yet? We'll debate that. And later, Tiger Woods and Nike are breaking up. NVIDIA setting records yet again. And two of our traders are ready to reveal their acronyms for 2024. One is flexing. The other has zoo animals on his mind. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we begin with Boeing. Shares of the aerospace giant tumbling as much as 9% today following the midair incident Friday night on an Alaska air jet. That emergency led the FAA to grounding 737 MAX 9 planes until safety inspections of all of them are completed. Phil Lebeau has been following the story since late Friday night. He's here with all the latest developments here in the ripple effects across the industry. Phil. And Melissa, we're waiting to see if there is a statement from Boeing regarding the news from United, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, about United finding loose plugs or loose bolts, I should say, in some of the fuselage plugs that it has inspected in its fleet. Here's where the investigation stands right now. It's all about these fuselage plugs. These are essentially doors that are not operational doors anymore. They're in the uh, side of the fuselage, they're put there by uh, Spirit Aerosystems, which manufactures both the plug as well as the fuselage. The plane in question, the one that had the incident Friday night, had three reports of pressurization problems prior to that incident. And United, as I mentioned, reporting late today that it has found loose bolts in some of the early inspections it's done of the MAX 9s in its fleet. In the statement, United wrote, we have found instances that appear to relate to installation issues in the door plug. For example, bolts that needed additional tightening. The door plug in question, it's about 65 pounds. Uh, and this is uh, the one that came off of the plane on Friday night in a suburb of Portland, landed in somebody's backyard. And there are NTSB investigators uh, going and collecting it, that will now be sent to Washington for further analysis along with the data recorder from that aircraft. As you take a look at shares of Boeing, tomorrow is a big one. They're going to be holding an employee town hall at the Renton, uh, Renton, Washington factory. That's where they build the 737 MAX. Dave Calhoun, CEO of Boeing, will be there, as will Stan Deal, who runs Boeing Commercial Airplanes, Stephanie Pope, the new COO. There will be members of Boeing's board there. There is no doubt that questions are keep propping up here about quality control and why there seem to be these persistent issues that come up when it comes to the 737 MAX. That will be addressed tomorrow during the town hall. Also take a look at SPR, Spirit Aerosystems. This is the company that makes fuselages for the MAX. They also make the door plug. Now, no indication yet that they're responsible for what happened on Friday night. 
But certainly a lot of questions there, which is why Spirit was down. Look, Melissa, earlier in the day, pre-market, I think it was down 19, 20%. Um, a lot of questions in terms of what's been happening at Spirit as well as with Boeing. Yeah, um, other airline contractors also down on the back of just these fears that they are associated in some way with the accident. Phil, I'm curious, though, you know, when it comes to Spirit makes the plug and there are loose bolts, I mean, who who's in charge? And, and there's sort of an implication here that whoever installed or whoever initially put the bolts in or tightened the bolts, there was no check afterwards. It seems to me that there would be a check right. afterwards that would catch loose bolts before it actually goes into flight. Well, yeah, I, I think you're making the correct assumption. It's not like they take a fuselage at Boeing and they say, well, it was built by Spirit, everything's fine, here we go. Um, having said that, Melissa, if you remember, it was about four months ago, there was an issue with holes that were drilled improperly by Spirit Aerosystems, and Boeing had to go back, had to go and do some checks, and then correct that situation. In fact, they told you know some of the uh, operators of those aircraft, hey, you're going to have to do some checks to make sure that the bolts are installed correctly. That's a question for Boeing that will certainly come up the next time Dave Calhoun does an interview in terms of how many checks are being done on what you get from Spirit. doesn't mean that Spirit is sending you faulty fuselages, but what kind of quality control is taking place here? Because we seem to have this happening on a fairly regular basis. Um, given there's so many unknowns still at this point, is it surprising, Phil, to you that the FAA approved an initial safety inspection regime, which seems to sort of um, put to rest some questions about how long the grounding will take place? It seemed to be a path to getting these MAX sure. 9 planes back into flight. No, because I think that that's an indication that the FAA is fairly comfortable that if these inspections are done as they're laid out, and by the way, we reached out to Alaska this afternoon, Alaska has not begun the inspections, nor has United. That's likely going to happen either tonight, tomorrow. They expect it to happen relatively soon. Once they get the final, final approval from the FAA, the FAA would not approve this, Melissa, if they were not comfortable and confident that the system that they're putting in place to double-check the bolts, to double-check the installation, is the proper step. And after that, these planes are safe to fly. All right. Phil, thanks so much. Phil LeBeau covering all angles of this story. Right now, in terms of a stock perspective, it does seem to be a Boeing and Spirit Aerosystems problem and not an airline problem, indicating that maybe this is not a prolonged issue that will ground flights for a long time, Guy. But still, how do we think about this? A company whose reputation is really... I don't know, put into question once again. Yeah, it's not the first time with Boeing. Obviously, over the last four or five years, we've done this story in different iterations, but we've done it a number of times. So I think the question is, how do you trade the stock? Look at their last quarter. So everybody thinks Boeing just makes commercial planes. They do. That's the lion's share of their revenue. But guess what? $18 billion of revenue last quarter. Almost $6 billion of it was defense. So this is a defense company as well. Tim talks about that. Forget about valuation for a second. And let's just talk about where the stock. Unfortunately, the stock had a huge rally. We rallied up to previous highs, seemingly have failed given today. 50% retracement of the fall low 170-ish in this recent high gets you to 220. That's a logical place, actually, to start getting long again in the stock. Now, I'm not saying you have to go race out and buy it, and quite frankly, they report at the end of the month. But if you're looking for a level, 220 makes sense. You've traded it in crisis and out of crisis. Yeah, and I'm long it now, and I was getting pretty excited about the move forward. Because if you think about the catalyst for Boeing, they are ultimately free cash flow. But before that, there's, been a, there's a couple of catalysts out there, including the 737 MAX certification in China. Um, and, and, you know, 
question is, what will this do to that timeline? Will that push it back? I, you know, looking at the response from credit investors, and I, I sometimes I look at what the bond markets do when there's equity stories on some level. And if you think about Boeing, uh, what I'm seeing is reiteration that this is a company that will make $12.5 billion in EBITDA in 2026 with $10 billion in free cash flow, which is what the company looked like back in 2018. Uh, we got a news alert here on JetBlue leadership changes to report here. Let's get back to Phil with more. Phil, take it away. Uh, Melissa, Robin Hayes, longtime CEO of JetBlue, is going to be stepping down on February 12th. Joanna Garrity, who is the uh, current COO uh, at JetBlue and has been in that position for a number of years, highly regarded within the industry and has done a very nice job at JetBlue, is going to be moving into the CEO position. That has long been anticipated that when the day comes that Robin Hayes is going to step down or is no longer going to be CEO, who's the natural successor? Joanna Garrity was was has long been considered uh, the natural heir to the job. So she will take over as CEO on February 12th. By the way, Robin Hayes stepping down for some personal health reasons. Uh, he's been at that position for a number of years, Melissa, and it's interesting to see whether or not he leaves. He's going to stay on the board, but he leaves as CEO. What happens in the in the uh case that's before uh, a judge in terms of the DOJ trying to unwind the proposed merger with Spirit. Does he go out with a bang or does the judge say, no, I'm going to rule in favor of the DOJ? All right, Phil, thanks for the update. Phil LeBeau with some news on a JetBlue leadership change. Um, How do you uh, start thinking about this Boeing story? We've been here before. It seems like it seems like a a difference. Mm -hmm. There were no casualties. It's not many, you know, plane crashes. It's, you know, there are differences. Yeah. I mean, thank God for that. And that plane landing in a suburb. I mean, how horrific could that have been? But I think that it gets a little worse before it gets better. And um, maybe that is that 220 level. I don't know. But um, I looked at Airbus today. It was up 2%, 2.5%. I mean, it wasn't looking like, oh, this is a massive change in this duopoly. So I think, like has happened in Boeing several times before, ultimately they will get through this and it'll be a speed bump. Yeah, this company's lost money for the last five years since they had those two very deadly crashes in 2018, 2019. There's been like no. Wait, I just want to say something. They had COVID to deal with. All right, this yeah. isn't this yeah. wasn't plane crashes that caused the company to lose money. It was that every airline grounded and didn't order new jets. I think that was the bigger issue. Well, and, well, in 18 and 19, though, I mean, they had some serious issues, right? Because they had lots of um, you know canceled orders and, and the like. So again, yes, COVID. Um, but again, your point about like 12, 13 billion dollars in EBITDA in 2026, maybe you know what I mean? They've been losing money for years. Years now, I mean, even post-COVID, right? Wasn't there this huge, um, you know, pent-up demand for these planes? The China thing has been a story for a long time, and obviously they were longer into COVID um, than we were. But I mean, like to me, this company has like really fundamental issues. Like, you can go back, just Google Quality Assurance Boeing. There's like ten articles with all these whistleblowers going back to 2018 with those two crashes. So it's not surprising this plane has a problem. Like, let, let's but, be but clear. But again, what plan are we talking about? We're talking about the 737 MAX 9. We're talking about all the 737s. I mean, there's a 1,400 MAX uh, planes that have been delivered to date. Um, there's about 200 that are MAX 9s. Again, uh, the reputational stuff, you guys are bringing this up. I'm not going to argue that they're, you know, when you're booking this a isn't flight, a huge hit to the reputation. you look and see what plane? I do. I look and see if I'm flying. A, yeah, still? 100%. I mean, like, and last well, week before this thing happened, there and, was talk about, like, like things in a rudder or something in this plane. Like, 
that are like loose or something like that. Well, but, I think but, for a while people will be looking at where they sit and what kinds of plane. I mean, that, there's I no question about the emergency yeah. exit and the fact that those yeah. were those were the two like two empty seats on the plane only. It's, it's shocking and amazing. Yeah. Um, but is this is this a manufacturing flaw? Is there a design flaw? I mean, these things have big implications for the profitability of the company and how significant this is. And, and again, this is a company that's been slowly rebuilding free cash flow. And I, I, you know, I'm not making light of this. You're all right to point out that they have reputational issues and Karen's right to point out it's a duopoly. Um, the reality is that they've got an order book of 4,000 maxes and most of them aren't max nines. So um, I think this is going to be an opportunity, but I don't need to jump in there today, which is what I think you guys are saying mm-hmm. to, to buy the stock. All right. Let's turn to the markets now. Major averages finishing the day in the green thanks to a boost from big tech. The Nasdaq leading the way up more than 2%. NVIDIA, one of today's biggest winners, touching an all-time high after announcing new chips that can power AI from homes and offices. Meantime, in just the last hour, microchip technology warned, citing a weakening economic environment for its customers and distributors. The stock dropping nearly 4% on the back of this news. And, of course, this comes after the news last week from Mobileye, warning about inventories held at customer at the customer level. Um, so what, what are we witnessing here in terms of technology. We have the clear winners here, and we have the ones that are really having some troubles. I think that's exactly right. You have winners, and the winners continue to win. And kudos to Karen. I mean, the NVIDIA things, for me, it was a tough, it was a reach for me post-earnings last quarter to stay anywhere constructive on the stock for a myriad of reasons. Here we are at an all-time high. By the way, the same levels we traded up to two quarters ago in the after hours, if you remember, which is quasi-interesting. But I'm glad you mentioned microchip. And on the back of the multi-ordering, double-ordering we heard last week from Mobileye. I mean, I think, personally, I think that's going to be a problem going forward. I think there's a lot of that going on. But the stock market is completely either overlooking it or discounting it to a point. So I would be concerned that there's double-ordering here. Clearly, the stock market is not. What is the thing you always point to, Karen, when stocks go down on the same things? Over and over again. This feels sort of like that because we are seeing not just microchip with new news, but Mm -hmm. ADI, analog devices, also trading lower once again on the same sort of news. Even Texan right now being dragged down down by a percent in the after-hour session. The same Mm -hmm. sorts of concerns plaguing these stocks once again. Right. Well, clearly it's a bearish sign, but I I did not say Happy New Year to Guy, which I really Oh, meant yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Guy. That's, Sorry about that. that's so sweet. Yeah. What, what is yeah. this? Isn't like the seventh week of January already? I mean, it's when 25 is it? already. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, you're right. Nice Down again on the same news. And, and that's sort of sort of telling of a bear market in a space. Right. Hopefully there's a there's a divergence there between not all semis, of course, are they're very different things. Um, and then positive news today out of, um, I mean, uh, NVIDIA. I'm surprised, actually, at the magnitude of the response in the stock. For NVIDIA. Yeah. On, on, I'm not exactly sure. They talked about great new prices. We don't know what those prices are. Right. Um, kind of overdone, actually. Carter Braxton Worth pounded the table on NVIDIA today to the extent wow. that Carter Braxton Worth pounds the table. But he says he reiterates his uh, December 19th note, which is buy NVIDIA for a breakout. And here we are. Well, there's there's an argument on the charts, apparently, and, and there's an argument on the balance sheet or on the income statement, I should say, and on the multiples. And again, there are there are those analysts out there that have 25 bucks a share of earnings by 25. And, and that puts it, at you know, 21 times. So, uh, you know, look, the fact is they still have a significant lead on competition. How much is that lead? How much does the margin start to erode? We don't know. Um, but right now, the company's falling through and, and new product dynamics are yet to be priced in. All right, let's stick with technology here. Our next guest is still betting on some of last year's biggest winners, and he's also bullish on a turnaround in China this year. Let's welcome in Dan Niles, founder and portfolio manager of the Satori Fund. Dan, great to see you. Happy New Year. 
Um, Dan, I want to start off with the microchip news because in a past life, you're a renowned semiconductor analyst and on your list of top picks for 24 is Texas Instruments. And so I'm I'm wondering to what extent, if at any, you are concerned about this issue of double ordering and and some of the weakness that chip makers might experience who feed into automotive and industrial. No, I'm I'm thrilled to see it because you have to remember, I, I, I have longs and shorts. So if you look at Texas Instruments, they went into this downturn early. And what we've been saying for a long time is that each semiconductor company is going to see this at a different time, depending on how much double ordering they had, and their ability to meet demand. TI was able to meet demand early, so their revenues have gone down over 10% year over year for four quarters in a row. We actually think there's probably some upside to 2024. For a lot of these other companies, like a microchip, et cetera, we think there's downside. And so TI was up 3% last year. The semiconductor index was up 65%. So we have a lot of shorts in the semiconductor space to balance out uh, the long that we have in TI, counting on the fact that things will normalize, and it isn't different this time. Hey, Dan, so we were just talking about NVIDIA, which had this bang-up year last year, obviously up over 200%, $1.3 trillion market cap broke out today. So that was a consensus long last year. It came in as a consensus long in 2024. How are you thinking about consensus in tech? And to the point that Mel just made about some of these names that have disappointed, it's baby with the bathwater. We saw uh, Mobileye shoot first, ask questions later last week. How are you thinking about how investors are positioned and how do you think about consensus right here? Well, I think last year it had nothing to do with earnings, right? Apple's Q4 December quarter EPS, which they're going to report in a couple of weeks, is down 10% from where they started last year. The stock's up 48%. Tesla EPS for December quarter is down 50%, and the stock was up 100% last year. Because of the run-ups into 2024 and our view that there's going to be a soft landing, the Fed's going to cut, and everything is just peachy, you're going to need these companies to start putting up numbers. And as you said, with Mobileye, the stock went down, I think, 25% the next day when they announced negatively, you know, we'll see what happens with microchip tomorrow. But I think the rubber hits the road with this earnings season. And so for companies like NVIDIA, where I think you're going to get two more quarters, probably a massive beats and raises, and you're paying a 28 PE for the stock, we own it. We, came, we were fortunate in that we came into today very long, that name. And we still think that's a good place to be. You look at other names, for example, NVIDIA's at 28 times, the market's at 20 times. You look at an Apple that's at 27 times, and you go, really, I'm going to pay 27 times for a 5% revenue growth this year. And I think that 5% is going to go down, whereas NVIDIA's number is going to go up. So I think the good news is this is going to be a stock picker's nirvana, I think, this next year, because you're not going to get stocks right just because you go, oh, it's Apple, it's big, the chart looks good, buy it. You're going to actually have to get the fundamentals right to make money. We're showing on the screen, Dan, some of the names that you're long, you know, Amazon, Meta, we know Texan, um, Biotech, Chinese uh, Internet. That seems really interesting and, and quite contrarian at this point. Um, what is the biggest risk in your view? What is your biggest fear about this trade? Because some of the stocks, I mean, the fundamentals seem OK, but, you know, the, the environment and just the foreign investment perception of them is terrible. Yeah, well, I'm glad you called it contrarian and not idiotic, so I'm pleased with that. But um, with regards to KWeb, you're right. I mean, it's the riskiest out of our picks. But I'm a big believer in that actions speak louder than words. And if you look at uh, the China internet space, 
The Chinese government has been just viciously going after these companies ever since they blocked the Ant Financial IPO in November of 2020. And so if you look at their equivalent of FANG, which is BAT, which is Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, even though the government's been doing this, over the last three years, revenues have gone up 33%. The stocks, those three stocks, have gone down 53%. And the PE is now 13 times on average for those three compared to the Magnificent Seven, where you've got it about uh, 34 times or so. And so all you need is to go from just vicious persecution to just benign neglect, and it's going to get better. And why I think we've moved into potentially that category is the government started to step up and buy stocks and trying to support these companies because they're below the levels that they were at the bottom of COVID, at the bottom of 2022, but the revenues are still growing. And so much like you saw last year, had very little to do with earnings in some cases where the multiples just went up a lot. If you can just get some minor view that the government is letting up on this, I think you're going to see the stocks able to re-rate a lot higher. So definitely the riskiest, but also the most upside from valuation if we just get to a different regulatory regime. Dan, uh, got to end it here, but thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Dan Niles of the Satori Fund. What do you make of China here? Benign neglect. Well, uh, um, <laughs> Dan is definitely what did, did we said he was being uh, contrarian and not, idi- you know, yeah. I don't think he's being idiotic or, or I don't, he's being contrarian. And this is a little bit of tease to my acronym. So I'll stop talking other than saying something I say all the time is that you make the most money when things go from terrible to just bad. And, I, and benign I think neglect. we That's well, we, we, we know how bad we know how bad China is in terms of the macro. Uh, that's not really the story with a lot of these companies. You're not playing um, is, is e-commerce growth going to shrink 2% this year? That's not the story. So I, I totally agree with those views. He has. It's amazing to think that when we were seeing those images out of China during COVID of people being wheeled out on stretchers online, you know, sick, just complete lockdowns, that these stocks are trading below those levels. Well below. I mean, it's it's just shocking to think about it that way. FXI, 21 and a half line in the sand. We've looked at that chart a number of times. I just figured out what the B is in Tim's bicep trade. I'm going to try to figure out the rest in the break. But, <laughs> you know, Dan makes an interesting point about valuations and growth and how certain stocks are rewarded or rewarded for, you know, what they've done in the past and not necessarily living up to those expectations now. All right, coming up, we are giving retail a try-on. Big moves out of Abercrombie, American Eagle, Crocs, and more. The guidance that had investors rushing in. And whether or not you should add any of these to your cart next. Plus, all the headlines out of J.P. Morgan's healthcare conference, where our own Jim Cramer is sitting down with top industry execs. The news, the stock reactions, and more when Fast Money returns. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee. Right here on CNBC. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. As a big ICR retail conference kicks off in Orlando, a number of retail names rolling out bullish guidance, and the stock surged on the news. Crocs closing the day up 20% on strong guidance, and a Bank of America call on the stock. Abercrombie and American Eagle also up after raising their fiscal fourth quarter outlooks. Both companies citing spending momentum that's lasting beyond the holiday. Abercrombie CEO Fran Horowitz saying its women's business is expecting its best ever Q4 in sales. So is this another sign the consumer is not tapped out quite yet. We neglected to add Lulu, which also raised guidance, but not to the extent that analysts had wanted. What yeah. do you think of all this? Uh, well, clearly, she's done just a fantastic job, and I've missed this one completely despite my dollar telling me, you know what's really good? Abercrombie. <laughs> it's totally changed. You know, it's not these sort of super skinny, half-naked people walking around. It's... Uh, <laughs> Th- that worked for a while. No, so I mean, Tim is out of a job, right? So ad campaign. <laughs> so, I mean, she's done a spectacular job of just, I mean, top line growth, but running it so much more efficiently. I mean, the operating income margins are just so much better. It's not crazy expensive. It's 16, 17 times earnings. However, I feel pretty stupid having seen the stock at, I don't know, a third, a quarter of where it is now and thinking, eh, I don't know. So uh, I'm not long that one. Lulu's a very different story. It's just expensive. Yeah. They run a great business. But what's the right multiple? It's getting a way premium to market multiple. You put a market multiple on Abercrombie and Fitch, which Karen is right. It's not the, the ANF we used to talk about years ago that we, none of us across the board like for the right reasons. It's, it's a change. And now at a company that's going to earn $6.20 next year, a market multiple, you get $115, $120 stock, I think, without batting an eye. And a company with a market cap of $5 billion, it does $5 billion in revenue, if you just want to throw that out there. So, yeah, it could probably still go higher from here. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Pharma in focus as Bristol Myers outlines a product game plan. Everything you need to know from J.P. Morgan's healthcare conference. That's next. Plus, Wall Street seeing the glass half full ahead of earnings season. But could things be about to overflow? Why our next guest says the market needs to cool its confidence. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Number one, we're going to grow the assets we have today. Number two, we're going to deliver on our pipeline, and we're going to be strategic about capital allocation. That includes a commitment to that dividend, which we've increased 15 consecutive years. That was our own Jim Cramer sitting down with the CEO of Bristol Myers at J.P. Morgan's Healthcare Conference, a company emphasizing its pipeline, saying it has the potential to deliver over 16 new products from now through 2030. Bristol Myers stock down nearly 30 percent over the past year. Jim is also sitting down with the CEOs of Walgreens, Amgen, and Roach tonight. So really a star-studded lineup here in the in the pharma world. In terms of biotech and uh, Bristol Myers specifically, 
you know, this is a company, they need to have at least 16 new products in the pipeline because a lot of them are going off patent. That's a problem they face. I've referred to this as, as Pfizer light for 2023. I mean, the performance here has been awful. The valuation is cheap and it might be a value trap. I mean, and so uh, the dynamic is all about pipeline. Remember, there's there's been a have and have not kind of divergence in the pharma space, obviously. Right. And 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 BMY is at the bottom end. It's a prove me story. Some of the, the, the M&A dynamics are things that get people kind of excited. And it's amazing how it almost feels like it's not the analyst community. Maybe it's the investor community. People flip a coin on these things. You know, in terms of they make an acquisition that is in a strategic sector, makes sense. They don't overpay. Um, and some are rewarded and some are not. This is a stock to own in 24. I'm sure of it. I, I hope you're right. I mean, they bought Corona deal was a December 27th, $14 billion. The next day or the same day, they announced a smaller deal, $4 billion deal for biotech stock. They're in that no man's land where they're not going to get bought and they probably don't have sort of the heft to make the acquisitions that they need. Karuna notwithstanding. But I'm with Tim on this one. Even if they do half of what you just heard him say, seven times valuation, you do a couple turns from that and you're talking about a stock from $51 to 6065, which, by the way, $60 price target, B of A actually just downgraded the stock, but as a $60 price target. So there should be room to the upside. Coming up, is Wall Street feeling too optimistic ahead of earnings season? Our next guest warns one misstep could lead to trouble because estimates are too high. Julian Emanuel of Evercore ISI will join us next with his take and the areas of the market that should have some upside. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back into. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying to kick off the week after snapping a nine-week winning streak last Friday. The Dow jumping more than 200 points. The S&P up a percent and a half. The Nasdaq leading the gains, climbing more than 2%. Its best day since November. And the Russell 2000 up nearly 2% as well, snapping a six-day losing streak. A golfing goodbye in the sports world. Tiger Woods ending his partnership with Nike after 27 years. The announcement comes after months of speculation that the two would break up. It's not clear yet where Tiger will end up next. Also, shares of Apple jumping more than 2%. The tech giant announcing it will launch its Vision Pro headset on February 2nd with pre-orders starting January 19th. The headset will cost $3,500 with prescription lenses costing an additional $149. And uh, crude getting crushed. WTI down nearly 4% after Saudi Arabia slashed its prices, renewing oversupply worries while demand is weakening. Meantime, Evercore ISI is warning earnings season will have a tough time measuring up to Wall Street expectations, and that could mean this market rebound may be short-lived. Julian Emanuel is a firm's senior managing director. He joins us here on set. Julian, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. So basically, everybody's too optimistic when it comes to earnings. Well, so we started celebrating New Year basically about seven or eight weeks ago. Uh, and from where we sit, whether you think this is a soft landing or you think this is a slightly on the harder side landing, which is our base case. We think there'll be a mild recession, uh, very brief at mid-year. The fact is 11.5% implied earnings growth for 2024 is just, that's high in a no landing scenario. And normally it doesn't necessarily matter because the expectation is that earnings estimates get walked down, but the amount of enthusiasm that has been engendered into share prices now the positioning, the sentiment really do make things a bit vulnerable here. It, it seems like there could be a great deal of risk to the downside just because of the positioning of people being so optimistic going into this. And so even a ratcheting down to a mild recession, that adjustment um, could mean 
greater downside than than one might normally have if we weren't so positioned in that way. Well, we actually sort of take a, a different tack here, Melissa, is, is that if you think about it, right, think about the last two years. Think about where we are today. We were at the same price in the index we were at the beginning of 2022 at the end of 2023. And earnings were 219 in 2022. They were go- they'll be 219 in 2023. And we're looking at 221. So a lot of this has been sort of time wearing off and sort of grinding things down. Whereas if you go down to the stock level, a lot of what we've seen is sort of what we saw today, the AI type names leading the market higher and in the industrial names where we think there's likely going to be weakness going forward, sort of causing this dispersion. So one big difference, though, if earnings are the same, we were going into a very big Fed tightening cycle and we're now coming out. And so that, to me, seems to be a big difference. How do you think about that? Well, which is why the multiple has expanded the way it has off of of the the October uh, trough. Uh, We know the Fed has has made it pretty clear that they are behind us. But the flip side of that, again, is if you look at the market pricing in between five and six cuts this year, frankly, history tells you you don't want that to happen. That happens in an environment where growth disappoints to the downside. And again, from our point of view, we don't necessarily think that the growth disappointing to the downside is going to be the major sort of down 20 or down 25 catalyst that you normally see in a recession. It's likely to be much more muted than that. But the fact is is that the expectations in general are just absolutely great in terms of inflation coming in, earnings being solid. And, and growth not disappointing. So, Julian, over, I think, the last 50 years or so, the average peak-to-trough decline that you'll get in any market in any given year is like 10 12 13% or something like that. If you're expecting the, ex, uh, the consensus of 11% earnings growth to be flat this year, <clears throat> would you expect to have a greater than a 10 12% peak-to-trough decline? Because, to me, if last year was all about multiple expansion and you have to ratchet down those expectations at high valuations, that would kind of suggest we're going to have a lot more volatility. No, there's no question about it. Like, you look at last year, peak-to-trough of uh, a little over 10% uh, from the July high to the October low and the rest of the year, reasonably volatile. We did have a banking crisis for about five minutes in March. We'll remember that. Uh, but, but honestly, the normal year, as, as you said, the normal non-recession year is more on the order of 13%. So our view that you could get peak to trough of down 16 17% is actually quite reasonable, particularly when you think about the geopolitical and political backdrop. Julian, thank you. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Julian Emanuel of Evercore ISI. (laughs) I only say it because it bugs you so much, the Happy New Year bit. I'm I'm way over the New Year at this point. Um, Tim, how are you thinking about the markets? Well, it's it's hard to argue with where Julian is, especially in terms of where I think the street got very aggressive. What's interesting is, is that, and Dan pointed out, it was multiple expansion. It wasn't multiple expansion at the end of the year when a lot of strategists, a parade of strategists, uh, raised their targets on the S&P. It was EPS. Uh, and again, it was this EPS that gets up to 11.7% growth when the historical is 85 when times are good. The one thing I'll say to push back on, hey, we're in the same place, is the comps are easy on some level. If you think about it, we're in a world where productivity growth might be an advancing dynamic. And, and I just think that you have a case where nobody just mentioned a no landing scenario. I mean, I, I, I don't love the economy here, but so far the sequencing of when this economy is going downhill has been wrong. And, 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 it, and it, it appears to continue to be wrong. It's interesting. Unemployment plays such a huge role and the numbers continue to be good on the headline. But 
we've had 10, 11, 12 months of negative revisions that seemingly people look past. So the question now, I don't know what happens in election year. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but at a certain point, unemployment is going to start to move up in a meaningful way that cannot be positive for the broader market. Coming up with the Fast Money acronym winner. You might have thought we forgot about 2023, but we've been keeping track. We reveal the trainer mm-hmm. behind this winning acronym. Take a look. You might be able to guess who. That is next. And bearish calls ahead of bank earnings, which kicks off this week. The Baird analyst seeing uh, the down, behind the downgrades will join us on the Fast Line. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's that time of year where we reveal the new Fast Money Trader acronyms. Our traders have been working overtime to get them ready. But before we unveil the new, let's look at who topped the tape for 2023. Last year's winner was, drumroll please, the General Jeff Mills. His acronym, FAME. FAME was up 72% in 2023. Dan Nathan was the runner-up with TSLQ, finishing up 45%, followed by Tim Seymour with lags, which ended higher by 22%. Now, unfortunately, Jeff is unable to join us today, so I will accept his win on his behalf. He thanks everyone who believed in him, especially (laughs) his mother. Uh, Jeff recently started a new role at Bessemer Trust. We can't wait until he can join us back here on the desk. Nice work, Jeff, by the way. We got to clap. I'm sure Bessemer saw that acronym. Nice work. We got to get that guy. (laughs) All right. Let's kick off the 2024 acronyms. We have our runner-ups. Dan, we start off with you. What is your acronym for the new year? Mine is Zebra. And and Tim is going to lag me this year. You're going to hear from Tim in just a second I did last year. Um, So here, I want to start with Z for Zoom. I think this stock is cheap. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, A third of its market cap is in cash, no debt. The the company is very profitable. I think they have still a very interesting product. I think it probably gets taken out by a larger platform company. That one's interesting to me. EA, or uh, Electronic Arts, also, Mm. um, you know, there's largest competitor, Activision, taken out by Microsoft. I think this is really interesting content. I think it's a cheap stock. And I also think that this could be some part of some sort of combination with a larger media company or a tech platform company. The other one, Baba. I'll let Tim really speak to this because, again, Hmm. I don't know. Um, It seems like a Dan Niles name. It seems like a Tim name. There's a lot of things going on over there. And I do do think the sentiment is really bad. Um, Rivian, I think they have enough cash to work this thing out, to get through EV winter, which I think we are going to be in for a while, but I think there are going to be other competitors to Tesla here, and I think they're they're doing okay right now. They are losing a lot of money, but think back to Tesla 10 years ago. I'd ask you to do that. And lastly, AMAT, this is Applied Materials. I think that as the AI story broadens out a little bit, reshoring, a whole host of other things, I think AMAT benefits from that great balance sheet and a cheap stock here, so AMAT's interesting to me. That's Zebra. Mm. Could be running with the harem. As opposed Uh, to several Zebras. Several Zebras. Called the the harem. harem. Okay, you say that like you knew it, like right <laughs> off the top of your head. Guy Googled it in the break. I, mean, I asked the question, and right. you gave me the answer. Tim, Boy. you're up with your 2024 acronym. Okay, my acronym for 24 is BICEP. And these are companies that are going to flex some muscle after being losers, frankly. Three of the five have been colossal losers, but I'll start with BABA. Um, so Dan and I have had a couple overlaps over the last couple of years, and this is one where, again, uh, valuation at seven and a half times, it's not even what you're talking about, but it's absurdly cheap. It's $85 billion of $185 billion in market cap in cash. It's a story where uh, they are still growing 18% a year. And I think there's so much negativity around China. It's not about the China macro that's going to move this story. The I in BICEP is the IDEVO International ETF. I'm an advisor to this ETF, full disclosure, but it's international blue chip companies that are paying and growing dividend, dividend levels 
covered call strategy. And I think international has been a loser over the last few years. And I think mean reversion says that and a weaker dollar and a weaker Fed is good for international. The C in bicep is... Chevron. 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 Sorry, I lost my notes here. And and I actually am emphatic about it. I think the oil space, especially Chevron, is probably uh, the bluest of the blue chips in the space. Breaks even at $48 oil on their div. I think the Hess acquisition means they have exposure to probably uh, the sexiest growth asset in production in oil. Um, in uh, E, Estee Lauder. This is also an iconic brand. This is a company that I think on valuation relative to itself, it's actually now really kind of interesting. It trades at around 25 times. Again, some of this just goes back to China. We know about the weakness there. We kind of know what's going on in discretionary. I actually think their demo in the U.S. is changing. It's getting younger. Um, I think there's an exciting space, as we've seen in cosmetics, even during difficult discretionary. This is one part of the consumer that continues to spend. Uh, And P. P. PayPal, again, this is another loser um, that happens to be a leader in its sector. All these companies I've mentioned, I think, are leaders. PayPal, we know what's been going on. We know that there's plenty of competition. We know there's been some question about really just how strong that customer base is. We also know that there's been some management changes. I think there's been a lot that's been worked through here. I think there's a valuation that's very interesting. And again, they are a dominant player in payments that I think actually has room to shine. All right. So again, Tim with Bicep, Dan with Zebra. The rest of these guys will have their acronyms later this week. Coming up, Baird curbing its enthusiasm on a trio of financials today. We'll sit down with the man behind that big call ahead of bank earnings season right after this. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street firm Baird curbing its enthusiasm today for Capital One, Wells Fargo, and American Express. David George is the analyst behind the bearish calls. He joins us on the Fast Line. David, great to have you with us. Hey, good afternoon, Melissa. It sounds like basically, you know, these stocks significantly outperformed, as you point out in the notes. It's a valuation call primarily. But um, how much of this is is broader concerns about unemployment going higher, credit quality going lower? Yeah. So from my perspective, the the upside in a soft landing relative to the downside uh, in a harder landing is starting to become asymmetric. And, And as you mentioned, with respect to employment, uh, we think white-collar unemployment in particular is going to go higher, which we think is going to impact both credit quality as, re- as well as uh, consumer spend. In particular, for Amex, which we cut to sell today, uh, Amex and card companies in particular, Melissa, have been beneficiaries of, of a tailwind coming from inflation. And as inflation starts to come in, in addition to travel and entertainment, uh, we think, is also starting to peak. And Amex has been a big beneficiary of those uh, two categories. As those start to slow, we, we think that revenue growth starts to slow, and the upside in those in these stocks is fairly limited, in our view, especially uh, given uh, where valuations and sentiment are currently. David, I admire your call. American Express went from 142 in o- late October to 180-ish now. On the back of, I would think, all the things you just said, and not least of which, 10-year yields going from 5% to 4%. How, what a yield, do they, how do yields play into this call, at all, if at all? Yeah, they really don't, Guy. Um, and we were on the show at nine months or so ago when we upgraded both of these two stocks in April as well as eight or nine regional banks. And, and that, the opportunity to buy was then and not now, in our opinion. From a, from a 10-year yield perspective, it's really more – Yields, from our perspective at least, have more of an impact on regional banks or money center banks 
rather than cards. Uh, card names are funded on the wholesale market, so the movement in the Fed, or, or excuse me, the movement from a, from a pivot or this movement in ten-year yields isn't really influencing our call, but clearly it has had an impact on uh, market participants' willingness to take risk. Uh, part of your downgrades were, were uh, Wells Fargo, David. I'm wondering, you know, you upgraded that stock back in the summer of 2020. Um, so what are you seeing here? It's just the story has played out given the, the run recently it's had. Yeah, a lot's changed in that uh, two-and-a-half-year period. If you recall, Melissa, back then, uh, the stock was in the low 20s. There was a lot of concerns, not only related to the pandemic, but there was a continuing drip of negative news related to the sales uh, scandals at Wells Fargo. And, and Warren Buffett and Berkshire was actually selling the rest of their stock at that point. And, and at 50 bucks. We think the stock is pretty fairly priced. We don't think it's a short year, but a lot of good news we think is reflected in, in Wells as well as the money center banks broadly going into an earnings season, which, as you know, is going to start on Friday. We think the bar is a much higher today than it was clearly eight weeks ago. Yep. David, thanks so much for phoning in. Appreciate Thank it. You. David George of Baird. He says that there probably won't be any catalysts for this mm -hmm. earnings season in terms of coming out. Well, I, I, I do think the run, I hate when they run going into earnings, which is exactly where we are, a very big run. So it's hard to be super bullish, but I am long. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, the E in bicep is Estee Lauder. That's right. I said it. Um, and I think it's an iconic brand out there at a time when I think their earnings power is probably getting better. The comps are easy. Karen. Yes, I want to say hello to my dad. Very fine. Everyone who's watching. And Sharon. Um, at my final trade, I look for what really didn't work last year. WBA, Walgreens Boots. Super cheap. Dan. Yeah, Tim's B in bicep is the B in my zebra, which is also in Dan Niles' K-Web, which was his contrarian, not idiotic pick for this year. I like it. I'm going to wish Karen's dad a <laughs> new year. Why not? Lockheed Martin, defense spending is now almost 60% of the budget, LMT. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer from J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.